Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We have been journeying through the book of Ruth, and rather than catching you up on all three of the other messages that went before this, just encourage you to go to our podcast, which is found at bridgechurchnyc.com. That's bridgechurchnyc.com. And you'll be able to catch up on the rest of the messages. I'll reference some parts of them, but not all. Several years ago, I was in a retreat uh, with a bunch of staff. And really, we were in our first year as a church, so still kind of getting to know one another, still getting into each other's lives. And what we did was we actually put together these questions so we could get to know one another, you know, icebreaker and stuff like that. And what we did was (laughs) we ended up asking this question, what do you look for in a friend? And there was about seven of us. And we put it all in like these little pieces of paper. We put it in jars. And so I was the one opening up the piece of paper to figure out what was the one thing that everybody wanted in a friend, one word. Well, I looked up and I said, oh, okay, you over there, you said loyalty, interesting. And then the next person said loyalty. And the next person said, I want them to be loyal. And the next person said, it'd be nice if I had a loyal person in my life. Every single person we had said the number one thing they look for in a friend is loyalty. And if the truth be told here tonight, one of the things that you'd like more of in your life is someone who you knew would be loyal to you, be committed to you, someone you could depend on and trust, someone you knew, no matter what happens, if the chips fall, they will be there, that kind of friendship. It's interesting when we talk about that kind of commitment because when we think about the concept of love, at core, loyalty is in the background. Loyalty is the heartbeat of that. I tell you this, for those of you that are married, all two of you up in this place tonight, (laughs) for those of you that are dating, dating dating-ish, committed-ish, wherever you're at, you know what's interesting? If you say to someone, I'll always be in love with you, they'll be like, oh, thanks. But if you say, I'll always be loyal to you, as the young folks say, it hits different. <laughs> it's different. When you say, I'll, hey, listen, oh, I know we're going through something, but I'll always com- be committed to you. That's, there's a whole different background to that because that tells, you, that tells me my performance is not indicative of your love towards me. I don't have to maintain this. There's something inside of you intrinsic to the relationship. Your will will not be broken towards your commitment to me. The heartbeat of love has loyalty at core. Jesus will will hit at this, but Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8. He says it, but he's speaking about love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, meaning love never runs out. It never fails. Look what he says. It bears, believes, hopes, endures. This idea is that I'm still here. (laughs) I'm still around. I still believe in you. I still believe in us. 
I hope great things for you. I endure with you. That is what agape love, the background of agape love is. That, that is the Greek word, one of the Greek words for love. But in the Old Testament, there is a word for love as well. It is called hesed. Now, we, we will put there hesed love, but it is, in the Hebrew, it is just called hesed. Many translators would translate this as loyal love, a love that continues to endure. Many authors have tried to uh, define what hesed love is, but it is the act of willingly pouring out oneself for the good of someone else. It is the same idea what 1 Corinthians 13 was getting at. It is, I will be there and you can depend on me no matter what. This is what we saw in the first chapter. In Ruth chapter one, verse 17, where you die, I will die. That's what Ruth tells Naomi. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do severely if anything but death separates you and me. It's the only thing that's gonna stop me from following you is if I die, that's loyalty. The scriptures speak of this in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, because of the Lord's faithful love, that's hesed love, we do not perish for his mercy never ends. This is where you hear his mercies are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is your what? Your hesed, your faithfulness. Every morning I can count on you. You're dependable, God. You're trustworthy, God. I can lean on you. I know that there's nothing I can do to mess up what we have. Chuck Swindoll would say, not only is it true that God will not change in his faithfulness, he cannot change. He never cools off in his commitment to us. He never breaks a promise or loses enthusiasm. He stays near to us when we reject his counsel and deliberately disobey him just as much as we are zealous for the truth. He remains intimately involved in our lives, whether we are giving him praise and prayer or grieving him with our actions. Whether we are running to him or from him, he remains faithful. His faithfulness is unconditional, unending, and unswerving. Nothing we do can diminish it, and nothing we stop doing can increase it. It remains great, even when you blow it, even when you make a stupid decision, even, it says stupid, even when your world, they're like, he added that. No, I'm, I'm reading right now. Listen, even when your world is shaken by betrayal, God's faithfulness never diminishes. The very opposite of loyalty is betrayal. And I wonder if we had a scale in this room of betrayal versus loyalty. What level do you land on when you look at people in your life and then steps Jesus because he is the culmination of Hesed love. He is Hesed love, loyal love. He is agape love, sacrificial love, all in one. He is the God man and it says of him in the Message Bible, in Romans chapter five, six through eight, I love the way the message brings it out. It says, Christ arrives on, the, on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. You see, loyalty, the essence of loyalty 
It culminates when you need someone, when you're at your worst. You see people on the street, they have no food. They don't, they don't just have no food. They don't have people to give them food. They don't have a person they can depend on. It's not that people are just cold in the winter. They don't have someone to give them a coat. And it's not this that people don't have friends. They don't have loyal friends. People they can depend on. And if I were to survey this room, you say, I have associates, I've got people. You've got people you talk to all the time, but you're not sure if there's one mistake you'll make that you're at the pinnacle of being dropped off and canceled because we live in a cancel culture where we love to cancel, we love to move on, we love to say, well, this is not working for me yet. And I don't blame you because that's what we've seen in our homes, it's what we've seen in our neighborhoods. It's how we operate with everything, we're so consumeristic. You don't like the gym because they don't have that thing you like, you know, where you can move your leg a certain way, so you cancel your membership. So we do the same thing to people, you know? We, we were watching this Netflix, Netflix thing, we were binging, and then you got to the third episode, you're like, we canceled that, we just end things. We don't have staying power because the culture has discipled us to cancel things and people. And so loyalty and the Hesed love of God busts in and it gives this imagery of commitment. That's what we're about to see here in Ruth chapter three. As we look in this incredible story of Ruth and Naomi, again, I don't have the time to back up everything we've said, but listen, these are two widows who only have one another. If you were a widow at that time, you have nothing, you are set up for destitute poverty. Now all they have is to depend on is one another. Where we left Ruth last was she was digging for these, she was gleaning for food. Meaning in, in an analogy to that would be like someone digging into the garbage can at McDonald's or they were going in the trash bin, they're getting leftovers, the things that no one wants. She's at the bottom of the barrel. But Boaz acknowledges her and allows her to be a harvester, essentially operating with one of his workers, his female workers. He gives her roasted grain. He gives her food, two weeks worth of food. So now, here is Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. And they are setting the, the, a, a moment in this story that will be indicative of what we see all the time. When two people come together and they start allowing romance and courting to be in the midst. It says in Ruth chapter two, verse 19, Ruth comes home. Her mother-in-law said to her, hey girl, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man that noticed you. Then it goes on to say, Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, now again, Naomi doesn't know who she went to work with and Ruth doesn't really know who Boaz is. So she just says, hey, I happen to work for this guy named Boaz. Well, she says, the name of the man I work with today is Boaz. 
Now, if you remember earlier in chapter one, Naomi has been in pain. Naomi said, call me Mara. Naomi has been angry and bitter with God. And all of a sudden in Ruth chapter two, verse 20, it says, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness. That would be the word hesed. He has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family's redeemers. There, Naomi is telling Ruth, girl, you do not even know who you were working for. You don't see the opportunity in front of your eyes. Just for a little bit of history, there are two laws that are at work here. The Levrite law required the blood of a man who dies without a male heir to marry his widow. So essentially, the brother or someone, someone within the family, close relative, would essentially marry the widow. Now, why would this happen? Because they would not want the woman to live vulnerable and oppressed and in poverty. So marriage was not only for romance, but it was also for protection of the oppressed. So this law was in place so that no woman would ever be going too long without someone to protect her. Again, in this culture, without a man, you have no land, you have no future. And so the Leverite law was set up so that a woman would be married, a widow would be married. But the other law that was in place was called the Kinsman Redeemer Law. This law focuses on land and it has a wider range of relatives there. Essentially, when a man would fall onto hard times and he would have to sell his land, there would be someone there to purchase the land on his behalf. So the kinsman redeemer law has to do more with having someone step in for land. The Levrite law has to do with marriage. The reason why I think this is important is because, yes, we're going to see some principles of relating and courting, but I just need to help you understand that the essence of this for these women is survival. They're trying to figure out the next step and how they're gonna live their lives, how they're gonna eat. And having life without a man meant, again, they were set up for poverty in the long range. <laughs> so in Ruth chapter three, look here with me. Ruth chapter three. Why don't we read that together? Because it's so interesting. Ruth chapter three, we'll start at the word Ruth. On three. One, two, three. Ruth's mother in law. <laughs> Naomi's setting this thing up. Like, have you ever had somebody hook you up? Like, they see something in someone that you don't see, right? She's like, girl. You don't see the, you don't, God is setting you up. You don't see that? She said, now, now how she starts it off with is, shouldn't I find rest for you? In other words, help me help you. You are only thinking about working for this man. I'm trying to find rest in this man. I'm trying to set you up, right? 
And so what she says to her is, I want you to be taken care of. She says, think about it. I just told you he's our redeemer. He's our relative. She says, you can marry this man. She goes on to say, haven't you been working with his female servants? Haven't you been observing his character? Haven't you seen this man? Don't you think he looked good to you? You know what I'm saying? And, and so what ends up happening is Naomi is the person that sets everything up. Now, I set up the introduction to talk about Hesed love and, and agape love. But the rest of this message is I'm going to be pulling out principles of courting that we see happening in this text because clearly Naomi is setting up a courting situation. One of the things that you find here is Naomi is not necessarily playing matchmaker, but she does see something in Ruth and something in Naomi that would be a good connection. In the Old Testament, the people that were the matchmakers were fathers because they would do these things called arranged marriages. Because an arranged marriage, listen, an arranged marriage essentially says, I know my children better than they know themselves, so I'm in a better position to choose someone that's gonna be with them for a lifetime, being that I've seen them in their infancy. An arranged marriage presumed that a person didn't know everything about themselves, but they needed someone from the outside to tell them about who they really were and who they could be with. Now, I always say this, and people don't listen, so I'll say this again. See how this works out for you. Amen? Amen. When you date and try to operate as a singular person, I know you're single, but I'm saying singular. When you isolate yourself and you don't allow anyone to speak in, not just to you, but to the other person, so that they see something in you and see something in the other person and how it would work, you basically are going off of everything you think about yourself and everything you think you know about that person, never allowing anyone else in the process. I'm not saying you need a matchmaker. I'm not in the matchmaking business. I am in the wisdom business, though. And you need a multitude of counselors. And this is the thing. You don't have a multitude of counselors. All you have is a mirror. You tell yourself, you look good. You tell yourself they look good. You're like, we look good. And you put yourselves together. And the only time you want counsel is when things aren't working out. Wouldn't it be good to get counsel before y'all start dating? The dove descends. What are, what are these descending on our shoulder? Oh my gosh. I should get insight before we start kissing and hooking up. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. What else? I'm sorry, I'm tripping, but, but listen, listen. Naomi sees something in her, and she knows about Boaz, essentially from his character. And so she is the one that sets all this up. I, I encourage you, I can't go too deep in this, but I encourage you, to not lean on your own understanding of yourself. But the problem for many of you isn't that you're isolated in dating, you're isolated, period. So, you, so it, it is, it's kind of odd. Like, why would I let anybody in to my romantic life when I don't let people into my life? Period. So hopefully now, gosh, I, I see the timer. Listen, um, 
for like a lot of people struggle with like dating into inter church because it like it might be dramatic and all that. I get all that. Okay, praise God. That so you want to you want to you know you want to go fish at another church. Praise God. You want to like see what else is out there. That's fine. That's fine. Do that. Do that. You do whatever you got to do. But if your friends are over here and your boo is over there, don't make them a mystery to everybody. It's just like, it's like, oh, how you doing? How you doing? And the, don't make your social media status change the moment we all find out. Because <laughs> now we got to just pretend we cool with it. It's like, oh, what's up, Tony? What's up? What's up? How you doing? How you doing? I don't know who he is. I don't know. Gosh. That was all unplanned because I got to go. I got to go. But praise God. Um, dating community. Amen. Amen. So <laughs> Naomi now, this is great advice, Naomi says. Naomi gives her insight in how to set up the atmosphere to get her Boaz. She's setting the mood Ruth chapter three, verses three and four. She gives her deep, 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 deep wisdom. She says, wash. There's, there's wisdom in that, y'all. Put on, listen, this, you, how much Bible knowledge do you really need to interpret this right here? Wash. Put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. You, your mama didn't told you that before. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet, lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Naomi is obviously telling her, listen, um, obviously, they had different hygiene practices at the time. Seriously, I mean, they just didn't wash every day. But, but the other thing is, she's, she's putting on her best clothes. What many would say is, many scholars would say, is that she was most likely wearing widow's garments, which was indicative of letting know I'm an oppressed person and vulnerable, help me. And she went from wearing widow's garments to wedding garments where she eventually put on her, whenever you would put on your best of your best, it set the atmosphere for a wedding. She had her perfume on. That was all wedding language. So she was essentially setting the context for someone to get to know her on a romantic, intimate level. She's having to tell her this because remember that Ruth has been broken through the tragedy of a past life, and so has Naomi, but she needs someone to tell her, how do I set this context up? How do I set this situation up? So Naomi thinks of the perfect time and the perfect conversation, lay at his feet, right at the right moment. The threshing floor is this moment where they would be, have been done with the grain, and they're in a different time of the harvest, and essentially it's at the end of work. Work time is over. And the threshing floor, at the end of the day, things happen that many people do at the end of the day. There's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of partying. And so the threshing floor was a dangerous place oftentimes for a woman that was single or widowed. And so she was sending her down there, but she was specifically saying, I want you to make sure you go see 
Boaz, go at night, go late, go while he's asleep. Now, one of the things that is so interesting about this moment, and I, as I studied this, I really came to a conclusion. Ruth is the one that initiates the relationship. And one of the things I started to think about is what does the Bible say when a woman initiates a relationship with a man? And you know, the Bible really doesn't speak to women initiating relationships with men. I can't even say that it's sinful for a woman to initiate a relationship with a man. But what I can say is that principle-wise, if a woman has to get to the place where she's initiating with a man, then most likely she's going to not only have to initiate the relationship, but to continue to initiate for the entire process of the relationship. The Proverbs speak to, in, in Proverbs 13, it says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's this idea that a man is searching out. But even above that, even above that idea of who's initiating, because I think, I think we live in a day and age where it's hard to figure out what someone feels, what someone thinks. But if you notice, Naomi told her, don't say anything. Put your perfume on, wash up, put your clothes on. Don't say nothing, girl. Just make it clear that you're into him. So she is telling her, win him with your nonverbals. But here's what you're going to see through the rest of this text. Ruth is about that wedding life. And you're going to see Boaz is going to respond in a mature way. And you know what neither of them do? Play games. And I believe that part of the yoke that we have to break in the culture is we cannot play, oh, I know you want me games. We're just chilling games. Let's see where this goes games. It's a game. We even call it kicking game because what we're essentially saying is I want to see how much you're into me and how much, you know, we can, how far this goes. And as long as we can keep commitment and context of what's really going on, let's not define anything. Let's just kind of see where this goes, see where this flows, kind of see where this works out. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying, saying, saying. And we want the illusion of commitment. And so I just want to be clear with you. That's not love. You can love someone before you fall in love with someone. You can be loyal to them and be a good friend to them by not creating this image that you are more into them than you actually are. That means that you are going to have to take a moment to know what you want. And if you don't know what you want, then don't make the person think what you want is them. Because you will confuse them. And so what you see is happening is initiation. I do not encourage women to initiate with men. But I do think you need to wash, amen. I think you need to put some... Put your perfume on. 
Set the atmosphere. Let them know. And if he doesn't respond, peace. Because you're too valuable for games. You're just too valuable. Do you value yourself enough where someone won't play games with you? Heart games. No. If they don't, if you, if you do all that and, they're, and they don't respond with joy, your girl's over there like, girl, look at you. <laughs> and dude's like, sup? If he does not have a visceral reaction, peace out. I have, okay, so. I just, we are in a place in our culture where we want to be great in dating but bad at friendship. What do you think they'll be in 10 years if you're married? A friend, loyal. And then when you, when you fast forward the dating process and y'all start playing house and y'all start hooking up. And you know, it's so funny because people tell me I'm wrong. It's so funny. People, I mean, people just go fast. James, you'll know what you're talking about. All right. And then they're in my counseling office because it feels good when you're together and it has no title, no, it's not clear, feels good. But I tell people this all the time and I don't have time to, to have six different sermons here, but um, I tell people this all the time. You can play house, you can play house. And you can play we're married, but we're not married. You can do, you can do everything married people do, but you're not married. You can do all that. But even though it's not a real marriage, guess what? It's gonna feel like a real divorce. Oh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. It's going to be a painful moment because even though you didn't have a ring, you had, you had a covenant in your heart because you were doing things married people do. Amen, James. Amen. At midnight. Okay, no, no, I'm, I'm jumping. So Ruth said to her, Ruth said to her, verse five, Ruth said to her, I'll do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate and drank and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley and she came secretly and uncovered his feet, which was a customary practice of being able to just acknowledge your presence there and lay down. And then it says in verse eight, at midnight, Boaz, now notice, the author here wanted to make very clear the time of day it was. This is a huge risk she is taking. Again, you do not have to be a Bible scholar to figure out. A man is sleeping at the middle of the night. A woman comes, uncovers his feet, lays at his feet. You don't need to know Hebrew to know that this is a sexually charged moment. Boaz was startled. 
So this is, what this indicates to us is that Boaz wasn't expecting anybody to be next to him. Turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman, right? I'm just reading the Bible, y'all. But it shows how surprised he's like. What I'm saying is this is not something he does on the weekends. You know what I'm saying? So he asked, because this is midnight. You know, in the midnight, you're like, who are you? Now, he just saw her yesterday, but he, you know, he got that sleep. He's like, who are you? And now this is kind of a crazy moment. Bible scholars, let me ask you something. What did Ruth, I'm sorry, what did Naomi tell Ruth to say? What'd she, what'd she tell her to say? Nothing. Don't say nothing, girl. In fact, she said, he will tell you what to do. Trust his leadership. Huh? Let, let him initiate. Put, put the perfume on and let that. <laughs> so she's, so, you know, but you, you know, Ruth hadn't been on the dating scene for a while. She hadn't been out there, you know, so you, you know when you know what to say, but you forget it. And she, you forget the rule. She did everything, but listen, the moment happens, right? He's startled. He looks. She's like, and he's like, and she's like, I'm Ruth. <laughs> right? Like, is that not what's happening? And she's like, so this is what she says. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Now, what happens is, you ever have someone tell you a secret and they say, don't say nothing? Don't say nothing. But then when you, in the moment, you say it, like you say it all, she told her, hey, this is our redeemer, but don't say nothing. The minute she's like, yo, I'm Ruth, I need you to like get with this, like kind of thing. That's essentially what she's saying. Because when she says, take me under your wing, Boaz knew exactly what that meant. You know why? Because in Ruth 2.12, you know, he says to her, may the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wing you have come for refuge. That's what he said to her. So she goes back and she's like, remember that wing you were talking about? Remember when you said God had a wing? Trying to get under your wing, no. What's up with your wing, no? Right? So immediately, the, she's, 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 she's telling, she's saying, she's saying, and he said, you know, you, I'm, essentially you're going to the Lord for protection. She's like, I want your protection. Now, I am not recommending any of you to do any of this. We, one, no, seriously, one of the things we have to understand is that the Bible is both prescriptive and descriptive, meaning that there are things that the Bible recommends. And then there's a time where the Bible is just telling a story, okay? The Bible is telling a story. And when it's telling us this story, it shows her nerves. It shows her fears. But remember, she's not just thinking about her. She's thinking about Naomi, too. She's not just thinking about how cute Boaz is. She's thinking about survival. And so her fears get conjured up. She doesn't know what to say. The scriptures go on, and he says something so interesting to her. May the Lord bless you, my daughter. 
And the minute he says, my daughter, it is an indication this is an older man who is out of the dating game, who presumably doesn't think anyone wants him. And if they did, if you look at Proverbs 31 and you look throughout the scriptures, essentially in the Old Testament, you see women being kind of pictured as beguiling and essentially because many women needed a man. So they would kind of position themselves to, and they would be dishonorable. So many times an older man would have to be careful of what kind of woman they put in their space. I mean, that's still today, but it was more so in the Old Testament. Okay, so, so then the, the interesting thing that happens here is he says, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. Remember, he's a rich man. He has a lot. He says, you have shown more kindness now than before. The way that you were taking care of your mother-in-law, the way that you came here with her, you've even shown more kindness. You know what that word is? Hesed. You've been kind. You've been reliable. You've been loyal. And then he says, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble what? Everybody knows you're a woman of character. And I'm blown away that you would even want me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm out of the, the dating game. And you would even seek me out. And he says, whether rich or poor, meaning there's some poor boys, some younger men out there who look better than I do, who have more than I do, but you would want me. You have to understand what's happening in the text here. Here you have this woman speaking into a man. You have a, you have a, you have a poor person speaking to a rich person. You have this Moabite person speaking to an Israelite. You have a person who has nothing. All she is is a gleaner in the harvest. And then you have the person who is essentially her boss. She's showing so much character even to approach this man. But he feels the same way. He's thinking, why would you want me? I'm kind of out of the field. I'm an older guy. And here in this text, you find something powerful. He says... I will do whatever you say, this is why, since all the people in my town know your character. I'll go further with you, not because you're so good looking, not because you're so young, not because you've done all these things to, to get yourself dolled up. Praise God for your perfume. Praise God you washed. Praise God for all that thing. But what's blowing me away is your character. And here's what he says. He says, verse 12, yes, it's true that I'm a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will now lie down until the morning. We see a woman of character pursuing a man of character. And then the man says, hey, I am into you. And I'd like to take this further, but there are some things we got to work out first. There's a, another redeemer that could redeem you. So I can't say yes right now. 
So instead of saying yes, I'm going to say I don't know, but my I don't know is connected to a plan. And see, part of the, oh, man, my time. Okay, I'm going to just say this. But, but part of the problem is, one, we don't pursue people of character. We get caught up in the perfume. huh? We get caught up in the atmosphere. We get caught up in the context. He says nothing about this. He says, no, everybody in the town knows. I know. I, I've been looking at you. I've been watching you, and I see your character. And she's looking at his character. She's not paying attention to his age as much as she's paying attention to the fact that he's a man of character. Character for character. That's what lasts, is when people pursue character. Those are the relationships you look up to. You know there are people who have been married 30 years and you see them and you are attracted to their love. You don't even think about what they look like. And all you think about often is how the person will look, but you don't think about who they are. What is compelling over the years, over the years will be the character of the individual. The Proverbs say, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Look at that. Charm is deceptive. There are people who know what to say, when to say, how to say it. It can be beguiling. It can be manipulative. And beauty is fleeting. But a woman and a man who fears the Lord. And I just wonder if that is at the heartbeat of what you want in an individual, is it someone who fears and reveres, who blesses and praises God? Is that at the height of your, of your list? Because everybody got a list. Is that at the list? Or is that somewhere in there intermixed, interspingled, like, oh, I just, I, he need to pray. She need to, you know, be into God. I mean, she needs to, like, be spiritual. But, but do they love Jesus? And is that a thing for you? even so much that they don't meet all your physical requirements. I pray that the Lord would break the yoke of the dream you have so that you could fall in love for the man or woman God has for you. Because there's a good chance that the man or woman you want doesn't fit your physical resume, but they fit God's resume. They're, the, they're who God wants for you. Who is God trying to sanctify? Because God's trying to sanctify you. He's not just trying to have you have kids that look a certain way and have certain eyes and do all that stuff. Because I know what, that's what the culture says. But do you want what God wants for you? Because God wants holiness. God's trying to set you up for holiness. So... I want him to be six foot 12. <laughs> I want him to have dreadlocks. I want him to dress like, you know, like he on a magazine every day. I want him to have good credit. I want him to have six degrees. I, I want him to have that. I want her to be bad, bad. I want her to be fine, fine. I want her to have... I want her to be so amazing when she walks in, people pass out. I want all that for her. Yes, yes. Yeah, I want her to be fine. I want that. But is God enough? What are you really interested in? 
You see what he does here? He says, I can't right now. There's somebody else. Lord, break the yoke of ambiguity and dating in these people's lives. If they don't know, then say no. If they know, then say yes. If they, if, or, or if they don't know, say, say they don't know with a plan. If they, if they know, say no. If they say yes, say yes. But Lord, break the yoke of ambiguity and game playing, God. Lord, break the yoke of people putting up with games. Better to be single in the arms of God than to be manipulated with romance from a man. Better to be single in the arms of God than to be manipulated in the arms with the romance of a man. God, I just pray that you break that yoke. I pray that you would be enough. I pray that your spirit would be enough. I pray we would not let games be played in our lives, Jesus. <sighs> Amen. Listen, the last thing I, I, I just, oh man, I have several things I need to say. Well, we're here. So verse, <laughs> verse 14, verse 14 says, so she laid down at the feet until, listen, she laid down at the feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl and went into the town. In that time and at any time when a man goes when a woman goes to a man's house at midnight she is vulnerable she is also putting her reputation on the line and boaz could have manipulated her all he wanted because she was desperate she was alone and it was late and boaz instead of using, to, using her, he was a good, loyal friend. He kept her purity and her reputation. He says, girl, essentially he's saying, this was not a good idea to come here at midnight. Don't let nobody see you because I'm thinking about your reputation and mine. So sneak up out of here so that no one will think we did something that we really didn't do because it's not just that people are, it's not just that we did something, it's that people think we did something. Because my reputation and your reputation matters. I want people to see the Jesus in you, not just the fact that we're together. So he protects her reputation because he's a loyal friend. And you see the other thing he did. It says in verse 16, she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her what happened. Then Ruth told her everything the man did. She said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. He honors her mother. 
He says, here's a gift for your mother-in-law. She doesn't even know if it's going to work out, but here's a gift. I just want to encourage you all as you are entering into relationships. If you're 25, 26, 27, 35, 36, whoever parented that person were there when that person was vulnerable as a little child. You are coming into their life now. To think that you are the hero of, your li- of their lives is you are mistaken. Do not think that by injecting yourself now, you are erasing everything from the past. Honor her parents and honor his parents by showing some form of respect. You are not just swooping them up and swooping in. Far too often people think, I'm the best thing that you got. I'm rescuing you from your past. That person is connected to a family. Honor their mother and their father by showing respect, and even offering a gift if need be. And the last thing in verse 18, Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go. Just wait. We don't know how it's gonna work out, just wait. For he won't rest, listen, unless he resolves this when? What's it say? When? Next year. In a little bit from now, I can't tell you when. No, today. Do you know that, listen, do you know that Boaz didn't say today, but Naomi said today? Because Boaz's reputation goes before him as a man of integrity and a man of character. She says, mm-mm, girl, you ain't got to worry about Boaz. Boaz is going to get this taken care of. Boaz is not the type of guy to leave you in limbo. Mm-mm, no, not Boaz. Boaz is the kind of guy that if you're thinking something, he's going to make sure it happens because Boaz's yes is yes and his no is no. And do you know who Boaz is like? He's like Jesus. Boaz is a type of Christ where we see in Jesus, Jesus has every promise he made to us is yes and amen. We can count on him and depend on him. So don't be fishy and ambiguous and play games in the dating phase because we want to be like Christ. We want to be a people of integrity. The culture may play games. We don't play games. We are an embassy of heaven in here. It's different in here. It's different in here. I should be able to say, oh yeah, he'll he'll take care of it today. Oh, she'll take care of that today. They'll, They'll let you know today. They won't fish around with you. They'll let you know. Don't play games because God didn't play games with us. Don't play games because people's hearts are too vulnerable to play games. People are too desperate for love. Don't play games. Instead of playing games, give people Jesus. Give them integrity. Give them honesty and give them holiness. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we honor you, God. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, even now, just rest on us. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us of your faithfulness, God. Remind us of your loyal love. God, you're honorable. You're worthy. We ask that you would just, even now, Lord, rearrange the way that we, quote unquote, hook up rearrange the way that we shoot our shot, 
rearrange the way that we step to one another. Let us be people of integrity. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We'll have the communion come. For those that might even be dating in here, I just pray that you're dating with integrity. For those of you that are dating and the person's not here, I pray that you're dating with holiness. I pray purity over your lives. I pray respect and honor over your relationships. I pray this too. It's never too late to turn around and be with God. It's never too late to put God in the mix, in the middle of what you're doing. Let Jesus' sacrifice remind you of how he pursues us, how he loves us, how he has that hesed love, that loyal love. Jesus, be with us as we just, just enter into this time of communion with you. God, let us do business with you. Let us do business. God, I just pray that you would shower your pure life over our life, your holy life over our life, your honorable life over our life. As we consume you, God, let us enjoy you, God. Let us enjoy your embrace. In Jesus' name. You'll come up in your own time. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.